Sports Radio 1043 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning. This is Terry Wickstrom, and what a beautiful day in the Rocky Mountains here. We have got a full show for you today. Uh, Brad Peterson is joining me in studio. Good morning, Brad. Good morning, Terry. You know, we're going to talk We're going to talk quite a bit of fishing today, but we're going to start talking a lot of hunting. Waterfall season's around the corner. Dove season starts in just a week or two. Uh, people should be getting ready for Upland game, you know, practicing. And big game season, well, uh, archery, archery antelope's already started. Yeah, and and uh, yeah. archery deer and elk up in the hills starts next Saturday. Uh, it's a... It's a time of year in Colorado where the opportunities are plentiful, no matter what outdoor activity you enjoy. No, you're absolutely right. And we're going to talk about a lot of it here. Uh, We'll talk probably more fishing in this first hour. You and I are going to talk some fishing. You've been out around the area. Our park segments are both about, you know, they're going to be interesting. One's about high mountain cut cutthroats and the others about how they stock the bass in the area so those would be interesting to it'll people be, it'll be real interesting you know I've, I've got a fishery biology degree and always love to hear more about what cpw is doing to improve the quality of the fishing opportunities in this state and they do a great job but there's always new technology new opportunities to make things better well when they're not around i blame them every time i don't catch fish because <laughs> it can't be a lack of talent on my part <laughs> But we will talk, and at the second hour, Nate Zielinski's got a huge announcement for his ice fishing tournaments. I heard about that. I'm excited to hear what the details are. Yeah, well, so so stick with us. We got a lot, but let's start talking about the fishing, Brad. Um, As people know, if they've listened, I've been kind of on the road lately, so I've fished a lot, but I haven't fished a lot here. So that's why I brought you in to kind of get me up to speed. I know you fish those uh, both northern and uh, northeast lakes a lot. What are you seeing out there? Well, I tell you what, Terry, we are in a situation that I haven't seen probably in 10 years. We have more water in the northern and northeast lakes than we've had in a long time, and that's provided a really good opportunity for fish to get off a great spawn, good forage out there, the bite's starting to really pick up. Water temperatures are starting to drop with the shorter days, a little bit cooler nights. And things are really ready to take off on that fall bite on all the lakes. You know, Boyd, Carter, Horsetooth, uh, Jackson, Sterling, Jumbo. All those lakes are fishing really good and should just be getting better. Well, you know, this whole year, there's actually been pretty good fishing. But a lot of people haven't experienced because it's been different fishing. We had, you know, you, you harken back a year when we had no water at all. And then the, the snowpack we got, fortunately, it stayed cold, so the runoff was slower. We would have had epic flooding. But then we got rain all through that cold spell. So as you mentioned on the, the, east, the northeast lakes, all the lakes in the state are probably have more water right now than they've had in years after being as low as they've been in years last year. Now we'll see what next year brings. But we didn't have a traditional spring. The fish were late to spawn. They were late to get going. I mean, it, we didn't have a 90-degree day till the end of June. And then all of a sudden, we had a couple months now of hot weather. And and the lakes are full where they're normally drawn down this time of the year. So normally, the 
baitfish have well spawned. They're out suspended. The fish are chasing them, and there isn't really a lot of good fishing shallow. But because of the high water, it's kind of a mix, and people, you can catch fish, but you really have to look. You do. You have to spend some time looking and realize that normally this time of year, the fish are really starting to get concentrated because, as you say, the the bait and forage is all pulled out of that shallow water stuff and is out suspended. So the fish are a little bit easier to find. But I was out on Boyd Thursday, and the trees are out of the water, right at the edge of the water, but there's still a lot of flooded vegetation. And I went up there shallow just with the electric motor looking. There's a lot of shad, young-of-the-year bass in there. So there's plenty of food to keep the predators in there. But you go out in the middle of the lake, and there's big schools there. So there's fish in both locations. You really have to spend some time just looking around. And once you find them, fish for them. But no, it's not going to be, you know, you're going to get a handful of bites. And then when the bite slows down, you're probably going to have to keep looking. You're you're going to spend more time with your electronics this year on your deeper fish. And then if you're wanting to target the shallow fish, it's just a lot of cast because they're so shallow right now. You aren't going to be able to see them with your electronics. So pick the area, the highest percentage area where you're seeing the life, whether it's the forage, the bugs, bird activity going on. That's going to key in that there's life in there, the prey's in there, and that will bring those predators in. So how do you approach? Let's take, Boyd, how you would approach it. Now, a year ago, if I was out fishing, Boyd, the water was drawn down already. And earlier in the year, there are where you could pitch a plastic worm or a jig into the trees for a large mouth. Then as you pulled out, as the water came down, we were able to get those large mouth. They hung in that grass for as long as they could, and then they started being pulled out. So you could catch them almost till now or maybe even later really shallow. But the white bass and the walleyes and those type of fish seem to have gone deeper. So if you were to go to Boyd today, how would you approach it? If I were to go to Boyd today and I was targeting the largemouth, I'd be looking at the deeper weed edges, both the visible, the the emergent weeds, and then the submergent weeds. So there's there's weeds in kind of that four to six foot range, the ones that you can see from the surface. And then there's some out in that 12 foot range. I'd kind of be looking at that, but I'll tell you something I noticed having been by there and checking the elevation is there's a lot of fish starting to move into the rocks along the boat ramps. And people think at Boyd, there's one boat ramp at the park, but there's a lot of boat ramps on the east side of the lake that are private. So I would be spending some time fishing those boat ramps if I'm going to fish for largemouth bass. Now, if I'm going to go out fishing for walleye or white bass, white bass, early in the day, late in the day, I'm going to be looking for the seagulls and the blow-ups on the shad. So I'm going to kind of be chasing those fish. Walleyes are going to be a little bit more bottom-oriented. They're a little spread out, so you may want to try trolling. The other thing is there's a thermocline in the lake right now, about 24, 25 feet. Because the lake is so high, a lot of the deeper structure is actually below the thermocline and not holding many fish. So I would probably start with trolling, and one of the last times I was out there, I was actually catching some walleyes suspended trolling, only about 10, 15 feet down, over 25 feet. So don't be afraid to run a lure through some of those schools of bait that are up higher. You might catch trout, uh, white bass, and walleyes right in there. As the temperature cools down a little bit more, 
maybe look more towards structure and you're going to get your jig and wrap spooning bite uh, starting a little bit more. <clears throat> You'll be able to target it a little bit better just as as the water temperature cools. I would say that's going to happen in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, it's um, and typically before you start getting that structure bite, you get a better suspended bite. Yeah. And those 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 uh, shad will be out there suspended. And I've been out in that lake just casting a small crankbait or a small popper uh, and just working it and kind of I almost work it blindly till I see some bird activity or some nervous water. And then I try to approach it. And when I found schools of white bass there, it's been incredible at times. And with those, you mentioned it, people don't realize the trout that are feeding up high on those shad and the ones you'll catch um, I've been, I was out there with Ronnie Castiglione one time and we were fishing the white bass with small crankbaits and I'll bet every other cast was a trout instead of a white bass and they were feeding on the surface. Yeah. And the nice thing is those trout are holdover trout from spring stockings. So most of them are pretty good size. You know, you're talking 14 to 16, 17 inch trout. You're not getting the little eight inch trout. They haven't started stocking it again for the fall. So the trout you are catching are really nice. One thing I would say if you're going to try trolling, increase your speed. I'm going 2.7 to about 3.2. It seems like that added speed is triggering a few more bites. And you mentioned casting. One of the lures that has been doing really good for me is I've been catch, casting smaller swim baits. Um, I've been casting an 8-ounce uh, moon-eye jig head with the 3.5-inch bio bait swim bait. Um, anything that's got a little bit of chartreuse in it. A little bit of brighter color seems to be working good, both at Boyd and at Jackson. Jackson has a ton of wipers in it right now. And the bite, if you want numbers and action, Jackson is the place to go. You may not get a lot of keepers because there's a 15-inch minimum. On walleyes. On wipers, too. On the wipers, too. Yeah. That, uh, But the number of 13 to 14 and three-quarter inch fish you're going to catch, it's not uncommon right now to have 50 fish days or better. And those are wipers, not white bass? Uh, most of them are wipers, yep. Well, that's, you know, and are they are they out suspended? Are you trolling for them? I am predominantly trolling for those until I see surface boils and then I'm casting for them. But the trolling, don't be afraid to change up your lures. It seems like I'm usually running one or two. Uh, I'll have someone else out in the boat and we're running four rods. I'll keep two rods close to the bottom and two rods suspended up where I'm seeing the bait fish. But you might get them to go on a jointed lure to start a, a like a jointed shad wrap. And then later in the day, they may go on more of a minnow, a deep diving minnow bait, and colors seem to be changing with as the day goes along. So if the bite slows down but you're still marking fish, keep changing those crankbaits up until you start getting bit again. As soon as you catch two or three on one, switch it over, you know, switch a couple rods over to that, fish that until the bite slows down, and then start doing some more trial and error again. I know we had a, a caller that was in a couple weeks ago, and by the way, I wasn't here last week. Uh, Chad Lachance did a special edition of this show uh, that we aired on ESPN because of a Broncos training camp, so thanks of all of you that tuned in. If you missed it and wondered where we were, that show is podcast. Just go to uh, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan, and you can listen to that. But thanks to Chad for filling in. But the week before that, we had talked a week prior about White Bass. I can't remember if it was you and I. I think it was because we had been, talked, yeah, we, were... we talked about Jackson Lake. 
And somebody said, I heard that and went out there. And he goes, we just killed him. So it's a great action bite right now. I think you're getting uh, similar things down at John Martin with the white bass and the saw guys, I'm hearing. That's pretty good. And Pueblo, I've heard, is fishing really pretty well. But since you fish the northeast a lot, if you wanted to catch some walleyes up and down that I-76 corridor, where would you go? Um, there's a couple lakes for walleyes. You know, one not to overlook is Horsetooth. Horsetooth always has good walleyes this time of year. Boyd is really starting to pick up. It's about ready to really go on a good bite. And then North Sterling, the whole year has just been a, a great fishery. It's holding a lot higher than normal water. And so the pressure early in the year wasn't as hard. So those would be the three lakes I kind of would target if you want to go up north I-25 or out I-76, you know, Sterling out I-76 and then either Boyd or Horsetooth up I-25 would be my top picks for walleyes. And what about crappies? Now, last year we saw some pretty good crappie out on the I-76 corridor. What are you seeing this year? Yeah, the crappies out on I-76 are doing really well. I probably would actually go to Pruitt. Pruitt has got a phenomenal number of crappies, and the water level is still really high, so there are some fish still in the trees. And then the deep area along the dam is holding some fish. Remember some of those I-76 lakes, you're going to start having times that they're going to be close to boating when waterfowl season comes on. That's right. So you've got about another five, six weeks to get out there and capitalize on the great fishing opportunities out there. But I just want to remind everyone to to take that into consideration. And if you're a waterfall hunter, the second hour of this show, we're going to talk a lot of waterfall. Um, Jeff Caldwell is going to join us and talk some goose hunting. You're going to talk a lot of duck hunting. Um, we're going to jump around a little bit on that. But it's coming up fast, folks. I think teal season starts in just a f- two, three weeks or yeah, something. It's, I think it's about September 14th or so yeah. teal season starts and dove season. Yeah, you know, dove that's season. next weekend. Yeah, we're going to talk a lot of hunting in the second hour, but we want to talk. We want to keep talking fishing. I tell you what, let's take a quick time out. We come back. We're going to join by some of the hatchery people. We actually have two hatchery segments coming up. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about some new ways they're producing great numbers of largemouth bass to pr- pr- to provide excellent bass fishing around here, and then we're going to talk about how they stock these cutthroats in the high lakes the high mountain lakes that really provide an excellent angling opportunity that a lot of people don't take advantage of. That and so much more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We are going to go right to the phones and joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Brandon White. Good morning, Brandon. How are you doing, Terry? You know, I'm doing really well, probably better than I deserve. But <laughs> <laughs> but you're going to talk to us about some bass, uh, how the stocking program is and all that. And before we even get into some of the things you guys have done to improve the uh, the recruitment and the ability to provide bass, you know, there's a perception in Colorado, I think, by a lot of people that we don't have much bass fishing, that this is a, a trout state and we walleyes come in second and they're probably, and then maybe some panfish and some some other things mixed in. But we really do have a have great warm water fisheries in Colorado, don't we? We do. Yeah, we uh, we, we have a an, un, I guess, an, an untapped, I think, kind of resource here, you know, and we, we have... Uh, 
you know, three hatcheries in our system that, that raise a, a myriad of uh, warm water species all the way from bluegill to red ear sunfish to bass and walleye and crappie. And, um, and so we do, we stock, we stock a lot of warm water fish and um, all up and down the front range and uh, even on the West slope too. Well, uh, Brad Peterson's in studio with me. We were talking during the first segment about uh, the bass that are coming on on a lot of these lakes like Boyd and John Martin. And and then off air, we were talking about the opportunities. You know, we've both been involved in a lot of youth movements. And, of course, Parks and Wildlife has evolved in getting the youth out there. And one of the ways to get them out there is get them excited, get them where they can catch fish. And these bass, they're in almost every park pond. I mean, there's park ponds that are walking distance of my house. There's more that you can bike to. There's a bunch of them in every city. And with the bass in those, what a great way to get youngsters out fishing. Yeah, it's great. And, it, you know, we do. We stock, you know, like I said, all up and down the front range. And I think you're, you know, you're right, Terry, that every, every little neighborhood pond, um, we put bass and, you know, not only bass, but bluegill and uh, catfish. Um, and it really creates a, a good, uh, diverse uh, fishing population for, for youth to, to go out and fish. You know, right, like I said, riding your bike to these ponds um, and, you know, just getting started. I mean, that's how I started. I think that's the way a lot of people start. Now, when you're stocking, and I want to get to the fact that you guys have really improved the techniques for harvesting and uh well, i guess recruiting more would be the better word these yep. young fish but uh has it been difficult to maintain up in the past enough bass to stock or are they they do seem to do a little self-recruitment what was the history before we got this bump in the ability to increase our our the put you know they're uh bass like most warm water fish are highly cannibalistic um and in a hatchery setting when you've got them real close proximity together they um they will they will they'll sit there and uh if you don't move them and, and get them thin they will eat each other and um kind of our old our old process our old protocol was you know everything we did in pretty much all of our warm water we allow them to naturally spawn um in our ponds um we we set gravel mat or gravel uh, tubs they spawn we wait till we see fry and then we actually go out and we'll harvest them with seine nets and move them to other ponds. Um, but what that, what happened with that was, you know, you had young, young fish with adult fish. And so you would, you would lose a particular amount of, of those fish just to predation. Um, and what we've done now is in um, learning from one of our neighbor states is, you know, we'll actually put out a, a fiber mat, um, allow those fish to lay their eggs and then those those mats are checked daily. Uh, once they see eggs, they immediately take the mats and actually will bring those uh, mats into a hatchery setting and um, hatch those in, in circular tanks. allows us to really control uh, what's going on with those fish. And because of that, we our numbers have, have skyrocketed with what we're uh, producing. Yeah, and we could t- I think the numbers you put in are phenomenal, but when we say these numbers, we have to also – with the caveat that there's still a survival rate in the wild, but what kind of numbers Correct. of bass are you stocking? So, you know, in looking back, we, we always used to do around 150 to 200,000 uh, inch and a half to two inch largemouth fingerlings uh, up and down the front range, like I said, the West Slope. Um, because of uh, our new uh, production uh, numbers, um, what we're allowed to give the the biologist to use um 
is we're still doing about the same fingerlings because that's more related to pond space, but we're giving them this option of stocking fry. And now we're, we're upwards. Uh, this year we put in uh, 4.6 million uh, fry and fingerlings this year uh, during our production season of largemouth. Now, is this allowing you to stock maybe waters you would have hesitated before, marginal waters, or is it just giving you more bass in existing waters or combination? I think it's more of a combination. Um, we're, you know, the biologists are taking these fry in, in a water that, you know, that they kind of would say, okay, this amount of fingerling, they're, they're bumping up their fry uh, numbers. Um, obviously, you're going to get a little bit more predation when you're stocking fry versus fingerling. But it's also, you know, allowed them to, you know, with the increase is, yeah, to move to move them around and stock some of these waters that they probably wouldn't uh, wouldn't have and they would have got missed just because of, you know, the numbers we were producing. Yeah, it, I think it just produces such an incredible opportunity. I'm going to put you on the spot here because uh, I didn't okay. ask you this before, so if you don't know, I understand. But there's stocking reports, and there's reports on ponds from the uh, surveys that go on uh, and when they were stocked. Is that information? I know it's available for trout. Can I go find that information for bass, too? Hey, oh. Terry, it's Kyle. we got to reconnect him. Hang on one second. Okay. I, I know, Terry, from having talked to some of the CPW people before, a lot of on their surveys summaries, yeah, they actually will tell you what fish are stocked in what year, particularly on the bigger bodies of water. But I know they don't go into detail um, on a lot of the smaller bodies of water. But I think we have Brandon back, and he can yep, answer I'm probably back. better. Yeah, about sorry that. about that. I don't know what happened. <laughs> but um, well, I was Still asking phone. Brandon, is there? I know yeah. there's stocking information on trout that people use, and they go fishing immediately. You know, because they like uh-huh. to fish for the put-and-take trout. Now, bass, you'd have to look at the stocking historically and say, okay, they've been putting bass in here for a while. Is that information that's fairly readily available to the public? You know, a, a lot of it uh, A lot of it is. You'll see uh, their, uh, you know, when they're going out doing their, their sampling, whether it be gill netting, electroshocking, uh, you know, their, their ways of going out and testing the populations. They will, uh, every year, they'll do a report um, on that body of water. Um, and some of them are made, you know, you can, you can get them online. Um, but others, you know, if you just call in and uh, talk to one of the bios, you know, they can, a lot of times they'll talk to you about what's going on in that body of water. Now, we're running out of time, and I know that okay. almost all these ponds are uh, – they're full of bass and bluegills, and I'll talk about some techniques. But I want to talk to you of the bigger lakes, the Boyds, the John Martins, the Pueblos, some of the southeast, some uh-huh. of the northeast lakes. I know you're a, an avid bass angler. What's the sleeper lake for largemouth bass that people should head to? Right now, you know, um, for the northeast, I would say it's Boyd. Um, and the words I'm getting uh, from, you know, other anglers' buddies is John Martin is going to be a sleeper here for a while um hearing really good numbers down there and they're getting big yeah i i actually did a television show several years ago at john martin and uh we were pitching and flipping into the uh into the brush when the water is high like it is now and we got some mm-hmm. phenomenal bass it's a it's a great it's yeah. a tremendous it's one of the best all-around fisheries in the state 
Oh, yeah. I mean, everything down there. I heard the crappie right now are going crazy. Uh, One of the hatchery guys is out there, and half the lake was a boil last weekend from the white bass and the wipers, so. Yeah, I've been telling people all year, if you want to catch fish, we're out of time. But thanks so much, Brandon. Thanks for the efforts, because I think it provides such great opportunity. I appreciate it. You bet. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports. By the way, they have a custom motorcycle and car show going on there today i think they have the street closed up not today she's she's looking at me and shaking yesterday all right so you can go there and look at the motorcycles today and the atvs they always have something going on on the weekend go there anyway anyway there are good friends and hunting's coming up and we're going to talk a lot of hunting in the next hour and uh hauling decoys getting to where you hunt a lot of times those atvs will help you out. Also, Brad and I were talking uh, after this next segment, we're going to talk a little bit about some techniques to catch some of those pond bass and stuff we were talking about uh, just a few minutes ago. But right now we're going to go back to the phones and joining us again from the hatchery division of Parks and Wildlife, we have uh, Dave Carr. Good morning, Dave. Good morning, Terry. How are you doing? I'm doing well. You know, we just we just got done talking to Brandon White about the warm water species and the fishing opportunities that they they provide for whether you're adults or especially even children in these ponds that are right by your house where you can walk or take your bike and get somebody excited and catch a fish. And now you're going to take us to the other end of the spectrum where it's going to take us a bit to get there, but you work hard to provide an, an experience at the other end of the spectrum, don't you? Yeah, that's right. I kind of had that thought, too. We're sort of going from the warm water side of things to the cold water side of things here. Um, fall is right around the corner, so I wanted to come on and highlight a stocking program CPW does every fall, and that is our uh, high mountain cutthroat stocking that we do in alpine and subalpine lakes uh, by airplane. Now, the reason you do that is because there probably is little or no driving access to these lakes, right? Right, yeah, I'm talking about the um, the lakes and streams that you have to hike to get into, the ones that are, you know, sort of far back in the in the high country. Now, what type of fish are you stocking on those on those waters? This is going to be cutthroat trout that I'm talking about. Um, we stock uh, several different types of cutthroats throughout the state, but it's going to be a cutthroat that's appropriate to that drainage or that slope. So we stock those that are going to be native to the east slope on the east side and to the west slope on the west side and also in the Rio Grande drainage we stock some Rio Grande cutthroats in the south. Now these aren't stocked as uh, to rebuild the population these are actually stocked as a recreational opportunity aren't they? Yeah this is recreational definitely. Um, These are lakes in that in a lot of cases can't really sustain a whole lot of natural reproduction, just like most other trout, cutthroat require running water to reproduce naturally. So it's just another way for CPW to provide an additional uh, angling opportunity in a kind of a really nice, uh, beautiful setting. Well, you're, you're absolutely right about the setting part. When I thought about the, the, the city parks and the bluegills and the bass we talked about just a minute ago, then you flip a switch, and now you're at a high alpine, high alpine lake. You may be around the tree line. You're hiking up and uh, with a fly rod or a spinning rod, 
and now you've got the opportunity to catch these beautiful, gorgeous trout in a setting that's unbelievable in an area where there probably wouldn't be an angling opportunity without that. And it's just uh, how many how many different lakes do you stock? Um, it's a lot. We can only get to about half of them on an annual basis. Um, so, for instance, in 2017, we did a little over 400 high mountain lakes. Um, and that's uh, just one side of the state. So there's, there's a whole bunch of high mountain lakes out there that we have to get to. And that's really why we use the airplanes, too, because it's so much more efficient to use an airplane than sort of in the old days when people were backpacking or taking horseback to stock these lakes. We can actually get to all these lakes now using uh, modern technology. What size are the fish when you typically stock them? These are really small fish. They're um, probably about an inch, maybe a little longer than that. And there's a pretty good reason for that, actually. Um, we found that if we stock them any hot, any larger than that, that the impact of the fall, um, they have low survival. And if they're any smaller than that, they actually dry out on the way down, and that impacts their survival. So we have to pick a pretty narrow window of size where it's uh, successful stocking for us. Now you put these and you stock different lakes each year. What Do you have any kind of idea what the holdover rate is and how long they live in these bodies of water? That probably depends on the lake. Um, that's a really good question and it'd be uh, one that I wouldn't want to give wrong information to, but um, I do know one of the interesting things is, at least for me anyway, is that because these lakes are so much more inaccessible, the uh, biological surveys that the bios conduct, in a lot of cases, they don't get around to these lakes as often as they do the more accessible ones. And a lot of the uh, proof that we have that this program is working is just the fact that you can go up there and catch these cutthroats, that they're there and the opportunity exists. Dave, this is Brad Peterson, and I wanted to ask you, you're, you're stocking all these lakes is there a way that the anglers can find out what lakes are getting stocked so that they're able to utilize this great fishing opportunity you guys are providing? Yeah, it's it's sort of like you were talking with the bass. It's there isn't an actual stocking report out there for for these cutthroats, um, and because the fishery inventories aren't even as complete, that's not necessarily an option either. I would say. Probably the best way for people to find out which ones have been stocked would be to visit a hatchery where the technicians are part of this program, where they raise these fish and where they help the pilots at the airport load the fish. Um, those people would have a pretty good idea um, and could give anglers a, um, a small list, I think, of lakes nearby that get these fish. And, and which hatcheries would those be? The two that come to mind right off the top of my head, uh, the Mount Chavano Hatchery and the Rifle Hatchery, I know, are pretty consistently raising fish for the airplane stocking. You know, another point I want to make, because I've fished some of these high mountain lakes. I've either hiked up or gone up by horse horseback. And people, you know, we talked about being stocked at a small size, and they think like Rocky Mountain National Park or Indian Peaks Wilderness, they think of the some of the more accessible lakes, and you end up getting a lot of small cutthroats or even small brook trouts, uh, brook trout. But I'll tell you that I've caught some really nice cutthroat trout up in these high lakes. Some of them grow to some fairly substantial size, don't they? Yeah, and it really, 
one of the things I love about it is that a lot of times you can hike into the backcountry and you can be within a mile or two of three or four different bodies of water. And it seems like each one has sort of a different size of fish that's, that's catchable there. Um, and yeah, you're right. There are some lakes out there where you can get some, you know, 18, 20 inch cutthroats in the high country. And it's, doesn't get a whole lot more Colorado than that. Well, I, I, in fact, I did a show on horseback in Rocky Mountain National Park just about that. If people go to my YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, you you can find that show. And I was amazed because I had fished the park a lot. It's one of my favorite places. And I had caught a lot of smaller fish. And I had caught some fairly large browns in the lower uh, parts of the park. But I had never caught cutthroats the size I did on the high alpine lake that we th- had to go up by horse tooth, uh, horseback. I was just so, so impressed. And those those exist all over. And, um, and I'm sure you try to stock them, too, in areas that are public and accessible if you're willing to take the effort. Yeah, definitely. Um, those aren't necessarily going to be done by airplane because the ones that we can get trucks to, it's the preferred method. But, uh, you know, one that springs to mind right off the top of my head would be Long Draw Reservoir. We stock that with a lot of cutthroats every year, and that's a, uh, it's seasonally accessible. It's not open year-round, obviously, but that, that would be a pretty good one for people who, uh, who want to drive to a lake. Well, you know, the other thing right here now, too, is the ones you do hike up to, the ones that are higher up right now, uh, we had a late, late spring, and the water didn't, a lot of these lakes didn't, didn't even get the ice off till after June, and we're coming up on winter pretty soon. There's a window right now that you need to take advantage, isn't there? Yeah, that's why we do this in the fall. Um, it's re- it really is the short window. It's maybe a four- to six-week window where the fish are the right size. And really importantly, the weather can cooperate for the pilots. That's a, that's a big part of it, too, is uh, getting good good flying weather for them. And then hitting that window before those lakes start to ice up. So it's a it's a short window for us, and we have to take advantage of it every year. So Dave, we're out of time, but I'm going to put you on the spot. I know I know that you have a passion for these lakes, and that's one mm-hmm. of the thing with you and Brandon both. What you talked about, your passion for fishing, what you manage is so comes through so well. So give us a couple the sleepers that. People can go to now. You're going to give up a couple of your spots, but they're not going to get flooded. But if I wanted to take advantage of this, where are a couple of the really neat places to do it? Uh, most of my backcountry experience has been in the Rayawa Wilderness. I really like it up there. There's some really good cutthroat lakes up there. Uh, it's quite a hike, so it's not for everybody, unfortunately. But that's a really good one. There's uh, the Rayawa chain of lakes is uh, really good up there for pretty good sized cutthroats. All right. We'll we'll take it at that. We don't want you to give up all your spots, but great programs and great, uh, you know, just a great comparison and different types of things Parks and Wildlife does in these last two segments. Thank you, Dave. No problem. Thank you. You bet. You know, Brad, we're going to um, take a break here. When we come back, um, I want to talk. go back to that segment on the bass and talk about how we would approach these ponds with some su- simplistic ways to catch those fish. And that's the great thing about these ponds is you don't have to get complicated to catch fish in them. Well, you know, and the same thing's true if you're willing to put the hike in for these trout, that it doesn't take sophisticated, they're not very educated. It's the work to get there that makes them hard to catch. And a lot of people, you know what, the work getting there is as or more enjoyable than the actual fishing up top. So it these two segments talked about two different opportunities for maybe two different groups of anglers. Oh, yeah, or, or some that will do both. Yep.
All right, we're going to take a time out. We'll tell you more about how we would fish those bodies of water. Ontario Extreme Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Well, you've been nailing the bumper music. Are you sucking up to me or something? Maybe. (laughs) Eagles and dire straits. You know, you know you get me going. Gives the energy to the show. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors and 104.3 The Fan. Brad Peterson is in uh, in studio with me. And Brad, we, we're going to come up next hour. Next hour is going to be great. Nate Zielinski is going to have a huge announcement coming up the next segment about his ice fishing tournaments. And then we're going to talk goose hunting with uh, Jeff, uh, Caldwell. Jeff Caldwell. And then we're going to talk some shooting with Colorado Clays with all the dove and everything coming up. And then we're, you and I are going to talk some duck hunting, which... It's it's not that far away. No, the the waterfowl seasons are right around the 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 corner in the small game, all the small game because grouse opens here soon yeah. and a lot of that stuff. We're we're right at the cusp of that all happening. Well, it's it's you know we're it's getting to be fall, but I want to go back to these two segments, especially the bass one. We talked about bass and panfish being stocked in almost every pond in Colorado. Now that they've developed these techniques, are getting the numbers. Uh, it's hard to believe there isn't a pond near almost anybody listening here that doesn't have largemouth bass and probably panfish in it. And they're afraid to go. And I go out to these ponds a lot, and I see people fishing. And sometimes I'll, if I have time, I'll stop. I may share a few baits with them because it's not that difficult to get them. Now, you're not going to get a fish on every cast. You've got to work a little bit for them because these ponds are pressured. But you don't need sophisticated equipment. No, you don't. You're, you can really, if people are trout anglers, um, panfish anglers, you can take whatever you have or get a real basic setup at one of the local sporting goods stores that will allow you to go out and chase these fish in the ponds and be real successful at it. Oh, you're absolutely right. A, a six to six and a half foot medium spinning rod. A lot of guys like to go to seven nowadays. I like the six and a half, but that's personal. Uh, and a medium spinning rod, put a little... Uh, um, super line on it, then change leaders. You can fish just about anything. And when you go, say, you and I have a few of our favorite ponds, and we know where they are. And if I sit here and list the ponds for you, every one of them, you have a pond by your house. But going to one of yours, how are some of the different ways you approach it, and how do you fish it? Well, depending on the time of year and weed development will change a little bit what I'm doing. If there's a lot of moss and weeds, there's nothing better than a weedless frog to catch fish. I mean, watching that bite is just phenomenal. But if I were to tell people a presentation style that's going to work year-round, catch a lot of fish, it's going to be the stickworm, the Cinco, the Stinko, whatever you want to use like that, wacky rigged or, or Nico rigged, that's going to catch fish from early April all the way until it freezes up. The only difference is how aggressively you fish it and your retrieve is throughout the summer. Why don't you explain to people what a Nico rig is? You and I are, you know, we're tuned into these things, but a lot of casual fishermen don't know what that is. So probably about 15 years ago, a stick worm that was weighted with either a heavier plastic or a salt or something like that to where it naturally sinks without needing a weight in it was created. And one of the ways people fish it is called wacky style. So you put the hook right in the middle, and when you pull on it, the ends fold, 
and then it straightens out and kind of shimmies like a, a wounded minnow or, or a crayfish type. Now, the Nico rig, the difference is you put a little weight on one end of that, and so it causes it to fall a little bit straighter down, but it also allows it with the hook in the middle, the weights on the bottom, when you get those real mossy rocks, you're able to keep your hook above it and just kind of work it above the short vegetation. So it's it's two variations of kind of the same presentation. But that presentation, you just have to be patient. If the fish aren't aggressive, usually I'll go with an original, you know, wacky rig and let it fall really slow, let it get all the way to the bottom, and then slowly lift it up and let it fall again. When the water gets warmer, I go a little bit more aggressive like the Nico rig, and so, or don't let it fall all the way down and fish in the middle because the fish will come up and chase the wacky rig. But the Nico gets it down to the bottom. I can fish deeper and cover more water a little bit quicker. Now, I, I, I use similar approaches, but a couple different techniques. First of all, depending on the time of the year, I might throw a lipless crankbait or spinnerbait and just cover water because I don't know where the fish are. But I was out just a couple weeks ago. In fact, you can go to my Facebook page, The Best of Fishing, I mean, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, Best of Fishing is my YouTube channel. But go to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook, and you'll see me holding a couple solid bass. These aren't giants, but they were from a very small pond. And that day, I only took two baits with me. I took a 5-inch straight worm from BioBaits, and I took a 7-inch ribbon-tailed worm from Berkeley. I had both. And one, the bigger worm, I Texas rigged. What Texas rig is a bullet weight sinker, and the hook is buried in the worm so that it doesn't snag. Uh, you can just Google Texas rig. It'll come up. But I use the Texas rig when I want to cover water fish a little more efficiently. And when I'm really fishing that Texas rig, I am throwing it maybe right in pockets by the weeds, right in holes. Or I'm throwing it off a drop-off, and I'm hopping it back, letting it settle. But I'm moving it around. I'm not letting it settle. When I fish the 5-inch the worm or a 4-inch, I'll fish a 4 or a 5 straight-tail worm, and I'll put no weight on it, just a hook when I'm fishing a lot of these ponds. You talked about the mossy using the frog. I can skip that. It's, it skips right across the top of that moss, and when I get to a hole, I just let it drop. Now, you've got to have fairly significant line because you hook a fish in those holes, and it's going to take. But there's I can't tell you the number of even big lakes that I'll skip that plastic worm. The other thing I can do is, like you did, I can let it sink down and just twitch it around, and it gets erratic, almost like a minnow or something, because there's no weight on it, and you can almost fish it in place. And every fish I caught that, if you look at my Facebook page, all those came on those two rigs. Yeah, and I'll use that 5-inch worm the same way, but just use a finesse or a a stand-up jig head, a really light jig head, and fish it on the bottom. But I'm talking like a one sixteenth ounce jig head to where it's just you're having to fish it slow, but you're getting that uh presentation down where those fish are. And you're talking about the heavier line to get the fish out of the moss. One of the nice things with the new super lines, whatever the braid is that you want to utilize, you're able to do that and it has a much smaller diameter. So you're able to use smaller reels and get the heavier weight line to where you can get those fish out of there as opposed to if you were fishing mono or floral. And one of the things I'll do in one of these ponds that I fish, I, I may only take, I may take two rods. I may take an ultralight rod and, a, and a, a heavier rod for the bass. But if I only had one rod, I could still do it. Like you put 15 or 20 pound braid 
it's really going to have the diameter of eight pound test or something like that. So you can cast a long ways with it. You can fish. And then I put fluorocarbon or monoliters, depending on what I'm doing. If I'm fishing the panfish, I can put a four pound, a two, three foot, four pound leader on it and get that same action on the bait, get the same lack of visibility of the line. Or if I'm fishing bass, I can put a 15, 20 pound fluorocarbon leader on it. And that allows me, it actually helps my presentation, doesn't tangle as much. And now all I'm doing is cutting off two or three feet of line. Fluorocarbon can be expensive if you want to use mono, but... Just cut, get a little bit of those, cut them off a little bit, and, and just put two, three feet on, cut off if you want to change, and, and you can just switch back and forth by just knotting on a new leader. Yeah, and that works great. One thing to keep in mind for the people that are new to bass fishing, fluorocarbon line is heavier than water, and it's going to sink. So if you're wanting to stay on top of the weeds and stay out of the tangles, it's a little better to go with mono. Mono will actually float. And you don't get as much, particularly in the mossy areas, it doesn't drag your lure down there and get tangled up quite as much. All right. We're going to take a timeout. When we come back, Nate Zielinski has an incredible announcement about his ice fishing uh, his ice fishing tournaments coming up this winter. I'm sure he'll talk a little hunting. We might even get a fishing tip out of him. All that and more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. 